Jesus' seven last words, as they're traditionally called, refer to the statements which the four Gospels record him as saying while he hung on the cross on Good Friday. The third of those words was spoken by Jesus to one of his fellow sufferers, a man we usually call the penitent thief who died on a cross next to Jesus. In this word, we see the question of salvation reduced to its simplest terms. Stripped down to essentials, this is what it's all about. It's about a request we make and a promise Jesus gives. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Best. And Scott, as I mentioned, we're in the middle now of a series on the seven last words, mm-hmm. Jesus' words from the cross. Right. And we started appropriately enough with the first word, which was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then the second word uh, from John's gospel, the first word comes from Luke, the second word from John, where he commends his mother to the care of the beloved disciple. All right. And so now uh, this is the third program in the series, and um, in the order in which we're taking things in this series anyway, we're going to come up to this one uh, that we hear from the Gospel of Luke and Luke's account of the crucifixion. And let's get right to it and read the passage. Luke tells us two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place of the skull, there they crucified Jesus, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And that right there is the uh, word from the cross we're looking at in this program. The beautiful third word, yes. Today you'll be with me in paradise. One thing we can note, too, just a moment uh, kind of in passing here, is that we noted on one of the earlier programs in this series that the crucifixion accounts in the four Gospels are not identical. Uh, There are some details that vary slightly uh, from Gospel to Gospel, kind of a probably a hallmark of eyewitness accounts where people see and notice different things. They didn't try to get their stories all on one page. They were willing to uh, let various eyewitnesses highlight different things. But the broad details are all the same, that it was at a place called Golgotha uh, or Skull Hill. We sometimes call it Calvary, and that's from the Latin calvarium for skull. He was mocked. They put a sign above his head that this is the king of the Jews in three languages. And another important detail is that he wasn't crucified alone. There was a thief on his right and on his left who were also executed that same day. Right. So in in broad outline, the Gospels all agree on these uh, 
fundamental facts. Uh, mm-hmm. Another interesting thing, you read this scene and you get the sense that it's kind of like a carnival. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like there's people all over the place. They're laughing. They're mocking him on the cross. The soldiers join in the mockery. Pilate himself was mocking him with the sign that he had nailed to the cross. In fact, one of the gospel stories says uh, that the leaders of the Jews were very upset that Pilate uh, labeled Jesus as the king of the Jews. And they said, you shouldn't write that. And Pilate was rather testy in response. And he said, what I've written, I've written. Just let it be. So there, there's some irony in that, but maybe most people don't realize that until fairly recently in history, public executions were kind of an entertainment spectacle. Yeah, it seems very sick to me and to probably most of us today, but yeah, even in the Old West, when they would hang a, an outlaw, it kind of became a community event. People even brought younger children to these things yeah. to watch these criminals get executed. That was certainly typical around the time of uh, Roman executions by way of crucifixion as well. So Jesus is undergoing all this humiliation in addition to the physical torture that was involved in crucifixion to the the spiritual anguish, and we're going to look at that especially in the next program, the spiritual pain that he felt. But in the midst of it all, there are these two others who are being executed with him. Jesus is not even allowed to kind of die alone in privacy and, mm-hmm. and with some shred of dignity. Uh, it, he's just one of a group, you know. He's part of a lot that's been assigned for execution that day. He's just another number. And uh, the Gospels describe these guys variously. One word that's used for them is criminal, and the word literally is katurgoi, evildoers, uh, wrongdoers. And the uh, Matthew and Mark both say that they were thieves. And that word is interesting. It could mean even something like insurrectionist or even terrorist, terrorist perhaps. Yeah, robbers, yeah. So these are not good guys, and we're told outright that they're getting what they deserve. You know, it's interesting that in church history, people have speculated, uh, and some have said, well, are, are we saved only by Jesus' death, that he died in our place? Or is it important that he died in this particular way with this mockery and this accursedness? So suppose that Jesus had uh, been taken out back by a soldier and just had his head lopped off, just boom, with a sword, and he died, you know, instantaneously. Does it matter how he died? And most theologians in church history have said it does matter how he died. Simply lopping off his head would not have had the theological import that this mockery, uh, this humiliation, All of this is what sin looks like. All of this is what the punishment for sin looks like. So it's very important that Jesus didn't just have a stroke or a heart attack or having his head lopped off, that it was this way because it focuses for us the wages of sin. Yeah. So in the meantime, as all of this is unfolding, we have coming to Jesus an interaction with these two criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And the first guy... Uh, who's kind of a hard-bitten type, apparently, he joins right in with what the crowd's doing, with what the yeah. soldier's doing. He Mocks he pipes right up and says, hey, Mr. Messiah, look, if you're, if you're such big stuff, why don't you save yourself and us too? Because they had been crying out at him in, in mockery. Hey, if, if you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, why don't you come down from the cross and then we'll believe you. you right. know, we'll, right. we'll all fall down and worship you. 
And of course, the depth of I, he could have, yep. you know. That's he, kind of what you would have expected there, right? You would expect these thieves to hurl mockery on him. And the one does, as exactly you would expect, but not the second one. The second one rebukes the first criminal and says, you know, don't you fear God. We're getting what we deserve. This man doesn't deserve this. How he knew that, we can think about it in just a moment. But he, he chides uh, the other thief and then makes a request. And that request is most interesting. And we'll take that up in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork Conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Dave Bast, along with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork, where today we're looking at the third word from the cross, the third of seven, and it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's the exchange between Jesus and the man we call the penitent thief. We've just been saying There are these two criminals who died alongside Jesus. He was just part of the batch to be executed on that particular day, on Good Friday. And uh, one of them was a kind of a nasty type who joined in the mockery that was going on all around that Jesus was experiencing. It wasn't enough that he had to die. He had to die uh, kind of in a shameful way. Mm-hmm. And we pointed out, I think, in an earlier program even, that he died naked. Right. They they stripped him of all his clothes. They gambled for his clothes, including the, the tunic or shirt that he wore next to his skin. So uh, all that's going on, and this guy starts railing on him, save, save yourself and save us too. And then the man we call the penitent thief rebukes his co-conspirator, mm-hmm. his fellow criminal, and says, look, we're getting what's coming to us. Uh, we've done wrong and we know it, but this man is innocent, so you shouldn't be uh, mocking him like that. I wonder how he knew that Jesus was innocent. Yeah, he, maybe he had heard something about Jesus. Maybe he had uh, heard of Jesus' reputation. Uh, hard to know. I mean, the Bible doesn't even come close to trying to answer that question for us. But he knew something that uh, Jesus didn't deserve what he was getting the well, way you they know, did. You know, Scott, I wonder if it was even just the first word from the cross that he heard. Father, for, forgive for them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Maybe that made such an impression on him. Yeah. That sure. somehow he thought this guy is really— Who would say that yeah. but, uh, but an innocent man? But then he turns to Jesus, uh, he, so he turns away from his fellow criminal whom he has rebuked, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's all he says, a very humble cry for mercy. I've always been struck by the fact that he didn't say, Jesus, save me. Yeah. He didn't say, Jesus, rescue me, redeem me. Uh, he says, remember me. And I can't help but hearing the echo of the Lord's Supper where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of right. me. Right. Remembrance kind of surrounds the death of Jesus. And so this person makes that very this criminal makes that very uh, simple request, just remember me. Keep me in mind uh, when you come into your kingdom. I I guess a plea for salvation is implied there, but it's uh, subtle, to put it mildly. Well, we we call him the penitent thief, Uh, so there is an element of repentance here. Uh, He's just been saying, we're getting what we deserve, 
And, and interestingly, when he begins the rebuke of his fellow criminal, he says, don't you fear God? And of course, the fear of God or the fear of the Lord is a major theme throughout the whole Old Testament. I got to believe this guy is Jewish and that he's coming out of a context. He may have kind of made a mess out of his life, but there's this sense that we are accountable to God, that there's a judgment that we're all going to face. In fact, they were going to face it very shortly mm-hmm. in just a matter of hours. That's a fearful thing. That is a a very sobering thought to know that we're going to answer for our lives, as these two were, uh, before the throne of a holy God. So what does he do? <laughs> he turns to Jesus in humility, in penitence, uh, sorry for his sins. And as you say, Scott, that prayer that he asks is so compelling to me. It's so profound and powerful. Just remember me. I don't know that he knew a whole lot about Jesus. I don't think, yeah, we don't know that he did. As you said, Dave, maybe all he had heard was that word of grace that Jesus himself had uttered. Hard to know. I've always thought, though, it was a gutsy thing for this criminal to do because at the time, Jesus didn't look like he was going anywhere worth following the kingdom. I mean, all of his followers had stopped following him. The disciples had abandoned Jesus. They had followed him, but now there's no place to go. So they are good. So, you know, I've always kind of thought, you know, I half expect Jesus to respond to say, what are you talking about, buddy? Can't you see I'm washed up, done, finished, through? I'm not going anywhere worth following. Why do you want to follow? But he does. He steps out on faith, this criminal of all people, and and believes that Jesus is going somewhere. There's still going to be a kingdom of light that he wants to be part of. How could he sense this? How could he still believe that the sign above Jesus, King of the Jews, was anything more than a mockery? Kings didn't end up on a cross. If they did— It was because somebody else had taken over their kingdom. So this is a remarkable expression of faith, almost uh, a leap beyond belief. And and in fact, the great theologian John Calvin describes, in his commentary on the gospel, describes this faith of the thief on the cross in, in these words. I love this statement. Calvin writes, I don't know if there was ever from the foundation of the world a more rare or memorable example of faith. This thief suddenly penetrates more deeply than all the apostles upon whom the Lord himself had spent so much effort. He adores Christ as king on the gallows tree, celebrates his reign in the fearful and unspeakable loss, and proclaims him author of life in the hour of dying. Glowing words from John Calvin. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, And I think we have to just see this indeed as an instance of grace. None of us save ourselves. None of us are motivated to save ourselves. Indeed, in the Reformed tradition, we always say that the outward expression of a desire to be saved is an indication that the heart has already turned by grace. You're responding to something God did in you first. So somehow, God got inside, the Spirit of God got inside this criminal, softened his otherwise probably hard and calloused heart, and in that moment, he was able to see Jesus, who, as we just said, sure didn't look like he was going anywhere worth following, and he saw in him the way to salvation. And so he he asked to be remembered in Jesus' bright kingdom. It is a profound act of faith, but it's also a profound reminder that you never know where the Holy Spirit is going to put grace. Never write anybody off. Mm -hmm. God does change hearts, and he does it all the time. I, I love this because it's also a paradigm for us. This guy couldn't do anything. Yep. And we're always Literally. tempted to, what do I have? 
There's an, another character later in the Bible who asks a question, also a good question, the, the Philippian jailer. He mm-hmm. says, what must I do to be saved? Right. And Paul says to him, well, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing you have to do. Our only work is believing. This thief, he doesn't get baptized. He doesn't receive communion. Okay. He, he can't go out and turn his life around and turn over a new leaf and reform himself. He's nailed literally to a cross. He can't move his hands and his feet, but he can turn his head and look at Jesus and say, Lord, remember me. And that is enough. That's enough. Even if you don't understand all the dynamics, you can't spout a lot of scripture even. If you can turn to Jesus and say, Lord, remember me. Jesus, remember me. Of course, Jesus had a reply. And in just a moment, we'll look at what Jesus said and what we can take away from also those words from the cross. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose, and we're in our third program of our seven-part series on the seven last words from the cross. Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, the uh, penitent thief, the the good criminal, as we sometimes uh, say, and Jesus had a reply, and Jesus looked at him and said, uh, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Beautiful words spoken in response to a wonderful request. And actually, everything that we said so far in the program is just a buildup and a background to this word from Jesus, I tell you today you will be with me in paradise, which is, uh, again, we, we talked about how remarkable the thief's request is, that he's you know hanging there on a cross, and he looks to one side, and he sees uh, a supposed Messiah who's also being crucified, and yet to him it's a king with a coming kingdom, and so he entrusts himself by faith into the hands of this king, and Jesus replies, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. No hesitation, no doubt. He didn't kind of express a pious wish or a hope like, hey, buddy, you know, I hope it's going to turn out okay for you. Uh, I hope it's going to turn out okay for me. I hope soon we'll be in a better place, you know, the kinds of things people say. But no, just this quiet word of assurance and absolute certainty, and it's going to happen now. It's it's not going to be in some distant future uh, in the sweet by and by, but today. Actually, there are some Bible commentators who um, try to move the comma around in this sentence. There are yeah, some who right. think that That's Jesus, yeah. yeah, there are some who think that Jesus went to hell after uh, he died on the cross, so he wouldn't have been in paradise that day. We'll look at a little bit of that in our next program, actually. And so, some translated is saying, "I tell you today, comma. you will be with me in paradise." <laughs> yeah. Someday, yeah, eventually. Um, but that's, you know, that that's, as a, a minister I once heard preach on this, that's the kind of translation you uh, you do only if you're grinding an ax. Yeah. The, the natural sense of right. the word was today, when else we'll you, be there together. When else yeah. is he going to say it to right. him? You know, right. he's only got today. So that's a kind of a discredited interpretation. And, you know, we can kind of think about what this means for our 
theories of heaven and the afterlife, but I think consistently the New Testament presents truth that although we're waiting and looking forward to the coming of the new heavens and the new earth and the resurrection at the last day, and that's going to wait for Christ's return, nevertheless, for those who belong to him through faith, for believers in Christ, uh, the moment of death is the moment of entrance into the presence of Christ. Which is interesting because, and I think we've talked about this in a different connection on other Groundwork programs, but there are varying opinions in church history and in the church right now today as to you know what happens when we die. And there are some who say, well, nothing happens when you die, you're dead. And you'll stay dead until Jesus comes back and raises you back to life. Um, that's kind of called extinctionism sometimes. Other soul sleep. Soul sleep, which would be the same version, right? You just, all of you goes to sleep and you wake up at the last day when Jesus returns. But, of course, uh, a, a much greater uh, part of the church tradition believes in the intermediate state where you can be apart from your body but still alive and in felicity and in joy and happiness in the bosom of the Lord. It's not full resurrection yet because you don't have your body, but it's wonderful and it's because it, you are with the Lord. Uh, and this passage is actually one to which people who believe in the intermediate state often appeal. Look, the thief was going to be with him that very day, not going to sleep, not extinguished uh, forever until the last day. And of course, there are other passages like, you know, Paul desiring to go to be with the mm-hmm. Lord and so forth. But this passage is one that's often uh, a sign of hope that indeed at our death, uh, because of what Jesus did on the cross, death isn't the end. It becomes the doorway to life immediately, not the fullness of resurrection life yet, but immediately new life. Right. So there's no separation. There's no lag in time. Although, once we leave this world of time and space, it becomes a mystery as to how time works even. Right, yeah, what does uh, today mean in eternity? We, we might have to uh, do a whole new series of programs on uh, the future and uh, heaven and, and all that to kind of explore this more deeply. But l- meanwhile, staying here in this wonderful exchange on the cross, we have this promise from the lips of Jesus uh, to the penitent thief And I, for one, don't doubt that he could keep that promise. You you know, in a sense, it's easy to make statements about the future or to promise people things if they do this or that or the other thing. In fact, our world has experienced uh, some horrible, horrible results of people who believe they're doing God's will by killing or by terrorist attacks or, or creating all kinds of havoc. And uh, supposedly there are religious leaders who claim if you do this, you're going straight to paradise and you get this, that, or the other thing. And uh, I would certainly not want to stake my own future, my own hope on the words of such leaders no, right. and such promises. But from Jesus' but from lips, Jesus, especially when I don't have a problem uh, believing this. Especially when he says this while he's on the very cross that will accomplish our very salvation, you know you can believe it. You know that this will absolutely come true. And there's a beautiful thing here, too, you know. I mean, the, so Jesus, remember me. That was his plea of salvation, though he doesn't name it as such. But it was a plea for salvation. And the beauty is that we know Jesus does remember us. He remembers each person who has ever lived. There are no unimportant people. There are no no little people. Uh, everybody is re- who is in Christ, who has experienced his salvation, is remembered by Jesus. And here's something that pastorally is very meaningful for anybody who has a loved one with dementia right. or old age and senility. 
Jesus remembers us even if we can no longer remember him. Uh, There's great, great comfort in that idea. There's not going to be a test in theology when you stand outside the the pearly gates, as people like to say, it's it's kind of a I don't particularly like that sort of right, uh, yeah, talk and imagery, yeah. making making little uh, jokes about heaven, and Saint Peter standing there and you know kind of mm. taking down names and were you good enough and all that, all of that is in the popular imagination. It's not in the Bible. It's not even how much you know or how much you can explain. I have a hunch that this thief didn't know anything about what was actually happening nope. at that moment in nope. Jesus' death on the cross but he entrusted for his himself, salvation. Yeah. It's enough to just say, remember me, Lord. And at some point, even if you've forgotten him, he will not forget you. That is the good news of the gospel. Amen. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for joining our Groundwork Conversation. I'm Scott Jose, along with Dave Bast, and we always want to know how we can help you to dig deeper into the Scriptures. So visit our website, groundworkonline.com, to suggest topics and passages for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.